Welcome back to the RMP, guys. I'm Zachary, your host of this messed up, crazy, rebellious podcast uh, on Instagram at the Rebel Minded Pod. And we're here to question the mess, make some rebel actions, and start living life on our own terms. Uh, Before we get started, how are you guys doing? I, I like to make this weekly assessment for me and for you. How are things going? How's your training going? How's uh, how's your your relationship with your your four legged friend going? I hope you guys have one of those because they are life saving sometimes. But also the friendships that you have. It's something I figured out lately. Is you really need community. You really need friends, especially as an extrovert. You really need people around you to make real assessments and to to really bounce ideas off of and to help you feel human and get away from the potentially destructive narrative that runs throughout your head because if you haven't figured out how to control the internal narrative you will always be crushed by that voice so I hope you guys are doing great. I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves. And it always comes down to our individual power and how we move forward, right? And what I like to do on this podcast is be provocative. And I think in a way I've missed my mark a little bit and I intend to change that. But that is growth. That is understanding and being aware of your position and and being aware of what your your avoidant tendencies, right? So what that means is let's just get more provocative. Let's get messier. Let's get get a little bit crazier. And before I get too carried away with my ramblings, I do want to get into this, in my opinion, very important discussion on continuing issue right so without further ado this is episode 94 the gun debate is it suppression or is it safety i'm gonna be honest i've lived a pretty jack-of-all-trades kind of life i haven't had any obsessions that have turned me into an expert of any sort but i've experienced little pieces of everything uh, there's pros and cons to that. Obviously, the con is that you miss major direction. You miss uh, intentional purpose, and you have to kind of find your way through adult life trying to find that. Or at least, in my opinion, that's what we should be doing, is finding that one or two things that that really light us up, that help us make a difference in the world. right? And of those experiences that I've had, it has been with guns shotguns rifles pistols i grew up around them i hunted with them i shot targets with them i was shooting bb guns and pellet guns since before i was 10 and i was using a blow dart gun when i was even younger than that now when i think about it my dad and stepdad actually did a pretty good job at introducing a lot of things into my boyhood guns motorcycles sports hard labor especially hard labor uh the thing that bothers me though with so much life lived in a space full of dangerous and tough things and tough decisions, is that I truly, at this point, don't understand where this debate is coming from and where the right to eliminate guns comes from. I I understand the desire to eliminate them. I understand the 
the bias and the possible fear, but the push to take away that freedom in which we were inherently given puts me on edge of questioning that whatever lies within the reason why they should be eliminated. And we all have reasons why they should or shouldn't. And I think that the why actually lies deeper than just the capability of of ballistic projectiles, their, their potential to do harm. Now, my initial perspective is this. The gun rights debate might just be focusing on the wrong thing entirely, regardless of the conclusion of this episode. And like most things, our issues have more to do with, with what's behind the scenes on how things affect us on an individual level. Individuals make up the masses. So if each individual is making their decisions just by tribal instinct to be part of something, rather than by first approaching it from an individual level, which is very hard to do, by the way, the best we'll ever have is a fight for what is allowed and not allowed, not why it's not allowed or allowed. And most of the time, we are easily swayed by group decisions. On one hand, we do it to be included in the group, and on the other hand, we also do it for the fear of being excluded. That's evolution. We're always scared to be left out. And I know I know what you're thinking. It's either one of two territories that we each reside in. Either guns should be allowed because we hunt with them, we defend ourselves with them, we compete with them, and so on, or guns shouldn't be allowed because people are hurt by them, killed with them, and suffer loss because of them. But what if we stand in the middle for a minute to truly take an assessment of what is? And regardless of which side of the debate we lie on, have we really discussed up front why weapons are truly an issue? It might be more than we think. So let's look at what we know that's obvious. And he's going to seem like obnoxiously obvious, funny obvious. Guns are used to kill people. Fact. Guns are used for hunting and recreation. Fact. Guns are used for home defense. Fact. Guns were used to effectively win wars. Fact. The ability to kill is capable with other weapons. Fact. Guns cause accidental deaths. Fact. Guns have saved lives and kept crimes from being committed. Fact. Guns have taken lives and helped crimes to be committed. Fact. I am a horrible shot with anything other than a rifle. Fact. (laughs) There are three things in my opinion, that I think are crazy important when it comes to the use of guns and this debate. Things that I don't think we've taken time to consider on a larger scale. Number one, the actual history, use, and effect of firearms through our evolution, right? Number two, the psychological state of the users of any firearms or weapon. And number three, the fear of the unknown and known effects of firearms. And what I'm going to try to do is try is cover a degree of this, a degree of all of these in this episode. You guys ready for a crazy ride? So first, what do we know about firearms as part of our history? What do you know? I think we have to understand that quote-unquote weapons have existed for potentially millions of years, which was far before the most recent versions of humans came into play about 200,000 years ago. What we see in its most basic form is the development of weapons. And in some research that I did, posted up on a site uh, from Human Origins, our weapon and tool technology started a very, very long time ago, as I previously said. 
the dawn of technology by 2.6 million years ago early humans in east africa used hammerstones to strike stone cores and produce sharp flakes for more than two million years early humans used these tools to cut pound crush and access new foods including meat for larger animals these multi-purpose tools dominated early human technology for more than a million years ancient hand axes have been found in africa asia and europe and moving forward by 790,000 years ago Control of fire provided a new tool with several uses, including cooking, which led to a fundamental change in their early human diet. Cooking released nutrients in foods and made them easier to digest. It also rid some plants of poisons. Then, it became a thing for hunting large animals. By at least 500,000 years ago, early humans were making wooden spears and using them to kill large animals. Early humans butchered large animals as long as 2.6 years ago, but they may have scavenged the kills from lions and other predators. The early humans who made the spears were hunting large animals probably on a regular basis. And as, as we move forward, it moves on to say that tools were made for making clothing, for carving and shaping, for fishing, uh, over about 70,000 years ago, uh, hunting fast and dangerous prey with uh, the procurement of the spears and being able to use them and hurl them uh, at a greater distance with more speed and accuracy and with less chance of injury from prey that may be dangerous. Uh, stone or bone points attached to spear or darts enabled humans to exploit faster moving prey like birds and large dangerous prey like mammoths. We, dude, we actually hunted mammoths. That is absolutely insane would you do that without a weapon right would you try to strangle a mammoth good luck but then moving forward somewhere around the 9th and 10th century chinese alchemists accidentally accidentally created gunpowder while trying to develop a fountain of youth potion the resulting power called hoyo yeo don't <laughs> don't quote me on that was horrible was a blend of charcoal saltpeter and sulfur they quickly learned the powder could be used in warfare. The then reigning Song Dynasty is the first to have used gunpowder against the Mongols, whose constant invasions into the country plagued the Chinese throughout the period. The Chinese attacked the Mongols with fire lances or flying fire, also known as arrows fixed with tubes of gunpowder that when ignited would propel across enemy lines. More gunpowder-based weapons followed as the Chinese perfected a variety of weapons against the Mongols over the next centuries, including the first cannons and grenades. Also fucking cool. And as history moves forward, the use of gunpowder and firearms used as weapons only advances, taking huge advantage of spears, bows and arrows, swords and knives or, sorry, taking a huge advantage over spears, bows and arrows, swords and knives, although they all did and still do have their purposes. Now, starting in the 13th century, when European influence started using gunpowder for cannons and termed hand cannons, then in the 15th century, the creation of the matchlock was the next step in advancement. And it continues and it continues to, uh, as far as with things like to create better accuracy for guns, rifling was created. It's the it's the the spinning grooving uh, inside the uh, inside the rifle. Then the Colt as the first gun to be able to shoot multiple times without having to be reloaded. Uh, the creation of the shotgun and then the machine gun. The recreation of a round bullet into a slug, and so on and so on. You guys get the idea. I don't want to bore you too much with the history. Now, as far as weapons go, the entanglement of their uses has always been tight. They have turned the tides of war. 
They have been used countless times in not just taking lives, but defending them. The firearm itself is and always has been a tool. And with the human desire to create, the modern firearm is only a perfected reiteration of the history of our own weapons. And it won't be the last. If history has taught us anything in the form of weaponry, it's that we're is that there will always be room for progress. Our number one quality over any other species was our ability to make progress, weapons included. Secondly, hundreds of thousands of years of human history should tell us this. Weapons have always existed. No matter who they are in the hands of, they have not only put us where we are today, but constantly changed the power dynamics between us as people. To take away one group's ability to defend himself, right, only makes it that much more enticing to others to overpower them. I think we forget about the ability and potential for human evil. And now, as we move forward, I want to bring up some studies and some articles. A 2006 study published in the peer-reviewed journal Health Affairs found that in a random sample of 400 news stories about mental illness published from 1995 to 2014, which includes sources ranging from the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal to CNN and NBC, 38% linked mental illness to interpersonal violence. And this is going to be important. Pay attention to that. And from that same article, it says, misleading statements about mental health and violence have very real consequences. They contribute to the stigma towards psychiatric patients, which can in turn lead to a fewer people seeking the treatment they need. They also engender discrimination. In 2013, a Kaiser Health poll found that 47% of Americans were very or somewhat uncomfortable living next door to someone with a serious mental illness, and 41% felt the same about working with someone with serious mental health issues. Now pay attention to that fear dynamic, right? It goes on to say, the false link between mental illness and violence has another deeply troubling public health impact. When we blame gun violence on quote-unquote mental illness or video games or even assault rifles we create a bugaboo i don't know why they use that that keeps us from doing the hard work needed to make real progress on gun violence the u.s mental health system and our country's approach to mental health to mental illness is far from perfect but even if we perfected treatment we would not stop the current american gun violence epidemic to do so requires hard discussions and good research evidence about issues ranging from structural inequality to addiction to racism and misogyny to firearm access by at-risk people to social media blaming mass shootings on melt on mental illness stops us from making forward progress and in another article by rd.com on gun violence statistics it states on the subject of mass shootings defined most commonly as any shooting in which four or more I've also heard six, not including the perpetrator, are injured or killed. Mass shootings happen every day in America and sometimes more often. In 2019, there were 417 such assaults. In 2020, there were 610, nearly two mass shootings per day. I know, it sounds like a lot. Killing 513 people and injuring 2,543. But mass shootings represent a tiny fragment of the problem, of our problem. Nearly 20,000 people were murdered by guns last year and another 40,000 injured. That doesn't even account for the approximately 24,000 suicides by gun in 2020. According to a 2016 survey of prison inmates from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, handguns were the most common type. Handguns were the most common type 
of gun possessed by federal and state prisoners. About 18% of prisoners said that they possessed a handgun and 2% or less possessed a rifle or shotgun. Pay attention to those numbers too. A 2006 survey of prison inmates said that 90% of the prisoners who had a gun during their crime didn't get it from a retail source. And quote, It's way easier to get a handgun than it is to do just about anything else in this country. End quote. Flannery. Whoever this guy is. Our background check is woefully inadequate. And it continues to say, Of the 10,258 gun murders in the U.S. in 2019, handguns were used in 6,368 of them, according to FBI data. But these numbers may not be exact due to a lack of gun violence research by Daniel Flattery, a professor at Case Western Reserve University at the director of the Begun Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education, blah, blah, blah. In the last three years, 67% of gun massacres with six or more deaths, there it is, six, were with assault weapons. Semi-automatic rifles, bullets, are bigger and travel much faster than handguns, Garrett said. And the combination of the speed and size of these bullets is why the risk of death and damage is so much higher. But... Handguns are easy to conceal and easier to carry, though open carry laws and concealed carry laws differ by state. So, with that information, I want to make this theory. What if you had a room full of seven-year-olds, and you gave them all crayons to draw with, and then one of those seven-year-olds drew on a wall as soon as you walked out of the room? And what if he did this every couple of weeks whenever he got his opportunity? Do you take the crayons from every child? Does every child suffer because of the one? What will all of the other children start to think? Won't this bring resentment and anger to the single child? Wouldn't this ostracize the child and make him feel exiled? Won't this change the demeanor and the attitude of the child? What about the child himself? Where do his actions come from? His, his actions, his intended actions to draw on the wall. When given a tool to create, why would he create havoc? I agree that we have a system that puts weapons in the wrong hands, but how did those wrong hands come to be? And why are semi-automatic weapons the first weapons to be threatened to be removed if they are by far the least used, when more handguns are used than those rifles? A report done in 2019 built off FBI homicide statistics found that of the 13,992 homicides committed, those 10,258 of these were committed with firearms. 6,365 were the handguns and 364 were, were with rifles. 200 with a shotgun. Now, even more so is there's an alarming number. 3,326 of these homicides were used with unknown firearms. Crimes that, were, that had no proof of what type of firearm were used. But with such a high number of handguns, what are the chances that most of those were not also handguns? So... In all this jumbling, why is it that most crimes committed are with handguns? Why is it that most home self-defense is also handguns? Handguns are by far easier to manage, easier to conceal, faster and easier to control within tight spaces. And although assault weapons like the AR-15 have been used for 67% of the last three years of mass shootings, which again by arguable definition is four to six deaths per shooting, how much does this account for all deaths by firearms? It's not that I'm saying assault weapons are any less deadly or potentially dangerous. But why such a heavy focus on them if they have such a small percentage in the overall homicide rate? 
Why are assault rifles like the AR-15 the first things to be removed? Why not handguns? Why not knives or other, other weapons? Could it be less about safety and more about control? The Second Amendment states, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, was this meant without a very honest and worthy purpose? Can we say that there was less trust and confidence back then than there is now? Is it not possible that our very own government or authoritative bodies now could possibly be trying to take more control from us? Would it not be possible that a nation full of people, people that are supposed to have control by the definition of democracy, would it not be possible that if our ability to defend ourselves was taken from us, then we would be completely vulnerable to control by force, to do what we're told, to act as we're told, to speak as we're told? Would it not make sense that to have our right to bear arms taken away wouldn't also potentially heighten their ability to forcibly take away free speech, freedom to assemble, to exercise religion freely? Could that also make it easier for our homes to be breached, to have forced search and seizure? I think for the desire for good, for us to live in harmony and peace, for everything to go right, people expect the order itself by creating laws, taking away liberties, and to expect only good intention from our leaders will keep chaos at bay. That the more order we have, the safer we will be and the less crime will be committed. <sighs> but let me touch on a couple things here. The world is always playing towards balance. Whether we like it or not, whether we can control it or not, the world will seek balance. And even order and chaos must stay within balance. It's the laws of nature. To allow too much order will lead to restriction, suppression, and dictatorship. The few will have more freedom and liberty, and more is taken away from the majority. And when order gets out of balance, then chaos builds pressure to rise. Take away people's liberty and freedom, and they will rise against that order with anger, mission, and justice to restore that balance. So, what are we really facing here? What have we overlooked that may be keeping us from moving forward? What seems to be happening is a focus on numbers. Numbers give us proof. They give us, they give us truth to what's happening. But has anyone asked why it's happening? I mean, a gun can't kill, but a gun with a trigger finger can. Same as the child with the crayon in the classroom. The crayon can't create graffiti on a wall by itself. It has to have a hand. The truth of human nature is that we embody and embrace ideals and opinions in which we were taught or have experience. No one is born with hate or anger and the desire to kill. It's always outside circumstances that influence any human to do anything. The only thing that we inherently desire is love. And when we don't receive it, its opposite is molded into us. The world would not exist without love, compassion, community, camaraderie, empathy, and passion. Humans ask for these things and strive for them. So what happens when we don't get them? Where does the mind and body go without love and community, without friendship, without relationship? If we want to focus on statistics, shouldn't we at least pay attention to what lies on the other end of a gun? The human himself. What creates the ability for something to shoot another human? What does one's mind create in order to justify taking life? What about those that are mentally healthy? who want no part in taking a life, that are then forced to do so in home defense or in war? Where are the statistics that say that our mental health is poor? 
where the statistics that say that poor diet and poor sleep lead to frustration and anger? Where are the statistics that show that a life without love and community and inclusion won't turn a mind toward pain and resentment and brutality? Our ability to take human life has existed far before firearms. In order to protect loved ones and nations, to fight off danger, and how many times has fleeing failed? Not everyone that runs gets away. What I'm saying here isn't meant to convince anyone of guns or against guns. You can like or dislike whatever you please. But as people decide to take away other people's rights because of what we think is right, we are taking away the purpose of our freedom and liberty as a country, the thing that has separated us from so many others. And now I want to talk about the fear. From an article written on Nature.com on their Humanity and Social Sciences Communications page, it says, by section description, a shared culture of fear. Developing a psychological understanding of attitudes towards guns and gun control legislation in the U.S. that accounts for underlying emotions, motivated reasoning, and individual variation must avoid the easy trap of pathologizing gun owners and dismissing their fears as irrational. Instead, it should consider the likelihood that motivated reasoning underlies opinion on both sides of the gun debate, with good reason to conclude that fear is a prominent source of both pro-gun and anti-gun attitudes. Although the research on fear and gun ownership summarized above implies that non-gun owners are unconcerned about victimization, a closer look at individual study data reveals both small between-group differences and significant within-group heterogeneity. For example, findings that gun owners had greater mean ratings of belief in a dangerous world, perceived risk of victimization, and the perceived effect- effectiveness of owning a gun for self-defense were based on intergroup differences. Fear of victimization is therefore a universal fear for gun over for gun owners and non-gun owners alike, with important differences in both quantitative and qualitative aspects of those fears. Noted that the gun debate is not so much a debate about the personal risks of gun ownership as it is one about which of two potential fears is most salient. That of firearm casualties in a world with insufficient gun control or that of personal defenselessness in a world with excessive control. That was a hard article for me to read through. Throughout this article, which seemed to have a lot of research beyond what I spoke of, there was a constant assessment of the fear built around gun ownership. And whether we own them or not, are against them or not, maybe it has to do with fear based in all of us. Maybe we all fear and we decide on how to handle that fear. And it goes on to say, Psychological research has shown that fear is associated with loss of control, with the risks that are unfamiliar and uncontrollable perceived as disproportionately dangerous. Although mass shootings have increased in recent years, they remain extremely rare events and represent a minuscule proportion of overall gun violence. And yet, as acts of terrorism, they occur in places like schools that are otherwise thought of as a suburban safe space, unlike inner cities where violence is more mundane and are often given sensationalist coverage in the media. So to come to my own conclusion, what I see here is that we have three issues, which are all by personal perspective. But number one, we are handling over our decisions to an entity outside of ourselves, outside of our individual decisions and ideology. Somehow our ability to trust ourselves has been taken from us as individuals and given to our leaders. 
we are trusting other flawed humans to make calls for us just because they show us the worst of something not the whole truth ideology on a major scale can be dangerous if it's far too opinionated and lacks inclusion and understanding our governmental bodies have started to use their own ideology of what's right instead of listening to the people it's become a game of the few while ignoring the many the second issue is the probably more important piece here is that we only see statistics we haven't come down to the truth of what makes a crime happen and as and that is the health of the individual or individuals following through with that crime the health of our society and health as individuals changes fucking everything why would anyone want to commit a crime why would anyone why would anyone want to hurt another soul and how are weapons entangled in our history are they always going to be present are they just a piece of us our ability to maintain control, to defend, or to weaponize a tool, to hurt, and to take life. And number three is social fear. Whether people like it or not, it will always create bias. We fear what we do not know, and that fear is exacerbated by the people who only create a negative perspective on what is feared. I've lived a lot of my life around guns. I tried to shoot crappie in a creek when I was six years old with my grandpa with my grandpa's revolver and I don't fear guns but I would be afraid of a person with a gun that has bad intentions to fear something is to think that you have no control in the face of it guns are controllable the people behind them may not be and if you're in an uncontrolled situation with somebody that has a firearm what would you want to have on you before we decide to remove a tool that is very much used for keeping tyrants, even governmental tyrants, at bay, a tool that keeps our families safe, a tool that helps us hunt animals for nourishment, and a tool that we use for, for competition and challenge, shouldn't we first be asking who's holding it? Of all things, in the face of violence and injustice, I will always ask this first. Where are we at in our health? I mean, a rope is definitely a tool until it's used to commit suicide. We have no regulation on rope. The definition of tool versus weapon is very easily weaved when it comes down to the intent of the user. Hammers for framing, bats for sport, pens for writing, knives for cooking, bows for hunting, shovels for digging. Any tool can become a weapon. Believe it or not, at the very core of our being, the health of our mind, body, and spirit will sway the way that we interact with the world. Those three things keep us in check. And not only that, they keep us in a space of good intention, love, and giving value to the world. When we take care of our own individual health, we can't help but want to help the world. I have yet to see a crime committed by someone who is not either taking care of themselves or being helped to take care of themselves. I myself as a gun owner would ask what keeps me from being criminal? What keeps me from committing a crime with a gun? Because I have guns, does that mean I all of a sudden have an intention to use it harmfully? If I didn't have guns, would I seek one out to create harm? Do I not know myself well enough to know the answer to these? And if I were to use it, would that not be a change of my mental health? My emotions and experiences that lead to resentment, anger, and objectifying the world around me. All in order to justify the use of firearms on another human. Doesn't the pure potential to use those firearms in my possession completely depend on my mental state and what I think of the world outside of me? As a nation, maybe to change our statistics 
We should be focusing on therapy and counseling, providing better food and water for people, relieving economic stress, more spiritual practice, less indulgence, and more challenge, and healthier, more inclusive community instead of judgment and social dichotomy. Yes, maybe our regulations are too loose. Maybe there should be a more strict system in place to keep guns out of the wrong hands. But human nature tends to take the path of least resistance. Same as taking away guns. It's easier to remove something than to dig into the mental complexity of what it means to be human. But even this is still a better move than just taking away a piece of equipment that people use for far more than crime. In closing, these are the questions I would want anyone to ask. Where would taking firearms leave us? As individuals and as a nation, is it fair to take away something that also is used in defense of life, food procurement, and sport? What proves that crime will stop with the removal of them? What proves that we will still be safe from our own government? What would happen if we were a healthier nation? What would happen if we were less stressed and less separated? What would happen if people better understood firearms and all their uses? What would happen if we could see that our leaders are not gods, that they may have agendas for themselves and their people that doesn't include a healthy America? Even Zeus was unfaithful to his wife Hera. How's that for an ethical debate? Keep questioning. Stay rebel-minded, my freaks. This is your host, Zach. I'm out. Hey, guys. I hope that all things we've brought here, including the people, have helped you change the way that you see the world. And if it has, then it would help us so much if you leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or give any feedback wherever you listen to the RMP. Thank you for listening in, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. Question everything, my friends.